When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Both Kevin and I have this general instinct, which is like, hold off something long enough to get good story out of the mystery, but not so long that you end up having to create more mystery than you needed in the first place. When the obstacles are organic and when you're like, the tension of the secret is working for you, live in that secret. What are you? What are you? You know. No. I don't. Yes, you do. Or you wouldn't be here. It's not possible. It can't be. Everything you know and every belief that you have is about to change. Are you ready for that? What are you? Vampire. Welcome to Entertainment Weekly's Binge, where we take an in-depth look at some of our favorite projects. I'm Sam Heifel, and for the next eight episodes, we're going to be digging into all eight seasons of The Vampire Diaries. For season one, I'm joined by our co-creators, Julie Pleck and Kevin Williamson. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you for having us. Of course. I do I do want to preface this spoiler-wise by saying this is the opposite of a spoiler-free podcast. We are going to be talking about all the things that happened. And while certainly we will be focused mainly on season one, do our best to keep it to that. Sometimes memories pop into people's heads. Sometimes stories go places. So I'm going to go ahead and say, listen to this podcast after you've watched all of The Vampire Diaries. It's been out for more than 10 years. It started in 2009. Go finish it. Come here. See what everyone has to say. I want to start. I mean, I know you all have certainly told this story. You've told it to me a little bit. But for the purposes of this podcast, let's get the origin story of this series. How did this all come about? Serendipity. <laughs> I mean, in a nutshell, because I do think a lot of people have heard the story, but it is, it's a good Hollywood story. Um, Kevin and I were having lunch with a good friend of ours, somebody who had been Kevin's second assistant when I used to work for Kevin as his development executive way, way back in the day. Uh, and this is a woman named Jen Breslow, who at this point was an executive at the CW. And, and we were Jen was one of our best friends. Yes. Yes. And we had been just hanging out. It'd been sort of a rough time um, emotionally. <laughs> so we were having like a, a friend bond, friend catch up lunch. And the subject of vampires came up because Twilight was about to come out and True Blood was on the air and it was just, you know, vampire, vampire, vampires. And Kevin was a huge True Blood fan and I was a huge fan of the Twilight books. And, uh, and we were just sort of like, oh, it's a shame the vampire genre is over because we never got a chance to be a part of it. And then Jen said, well, I don't think it's over because we have a book at the CW that we've been trying to find writers for called The Vampire Diaries. It's a book series. And Kevin, I, I can't, do you remember what you said? Because you were like, ugh. 
Yeah, I well, I thought the vampire craze would be over because by the time you connect, you know, start a project and adapt it and get it to screen and, and get going, it's just it's just over. I thought we would be the nail in the coffin. So we kept talking about that, how it was the the end of the we would kill the vampire craze. We <laughs> it would be all our fault. But he's like, yeah. I mean, he's like, I don't really want to do that. I've I've read that book. I know that book. I don't want to do that. And Jen was like, okay. They sent me the Vampire Diaries uh, like previously before it went to CW as a movie, as a potential. Uh-huh. My agent had sent it to me earlier from um, Alloy from uh, as a movie, and I hadn't even read it. I was like, no, I do it aside. <laughs> nah. And, uh, but I was like, you know, thirsty. I was young and hungry. So I'm like, I'll do it. And Jen was like, that wasn't really what she was, I think she had in mind. <laughs> and I said, I'll only do, I said, I'll do it if Julie does it. I said, we have to do this together because I, I wasn't really, I, I just wasn't sure I wanted to do something alone at that time. You know, I, I wanted to work with you and we, we decided to do it together. And she was like, yeah, I'll do it. And so we read, you read it first. I started it first. And then she called me up and she goes, what page are you on? And I said, 64. And you said, stop reading. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Because <laughs> of the Twilight comparison, she was scared sure. that I would, like, she just, did, you didn't want me to say no, I think, is what it was. And then I ultimately, yeah, yeah. You know, um, we filled in the blanks and, you know, and uh, the rest is history. It was so much like Twilight, though. That was really the thing. I'm like, oh, like. I went and checked. I went and checked the cover page to see what year it was written, and it was written in I think like 1991. There was a rumor that Stephanie, who wrote Twilight, had read these books Mm. growing up. Is that true or not? I have no idea. I feel like someone told me that, and I don't know if it's true or not. It could just be like you know, uh, folklore, urban legend at this point. Yeah, but that's how it was born. You find you find something in there. You find something in that story that you want to build out and take it. What was it that you feel like you really grasped onto within that story? For me, it was the town. Hmm. It was Mystic Falls, which in the books was Fell's Church. Um, there was just something. I was such a big Buffy fan, and um, and I had just really, really in the last five years done the whole Buffy thing. Uh, watched all the episodes from start to finish, and I I always loved um, you know Sunnydale and. Uh, and the ensemble, the Scooby gang, like, I love that energy of, 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 of kids just kind of trying to make it through the day. And so it honestly, you know, I knew the love triangle would work because of Twilight and, and didn't know quite how to do that to make it new and fresh. But there was just something about this town where like mystical shit was always happening that I thought was a really good, um, platform for a show that then, you know, just kind of find your voice, find your, tone and go from there and and kevin i think you liked the, i think i can't remember but i think you really liked the Catherine pierce well that and oh, i agree with you about the town because i dark shadows was one of oh, my favorite right. shows when i was growing up and i thought well if we could just maybe not you know can lean into the town and everything that's going on in the town um, because you remember when we read in the book, I think it was there were so many soldiers' blood had shed on this ground during the Civil War, so that it was had attracted, you know, sort of these uh, the paranormal or supernatural. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought that was really fascinating, and that there's a lot of longevity with that. But I also connected to the young girl Elena, who had lost her parents, and you know, yeah. was dealing with death, and you know, because I grief and loss is, you know, Julie and I's favorite subject. <laughs> and so or we write a lot about it. And I sort of connected mainly to this little girl 
who this young girl who needed to be brought back to life, and she by and it just turns out it was she was brought back to life by a dead guy. Yeah. Getting into the pilot and getting into my favorite thing, I mean, we've talked a lot about like the chemistry between I mean everyone. You can talk about the brother chemistry, you can talk about Stefan and Elena, David and Elena. But watching that pilot every time I watch it, which is like a hundred times by now, there's a different moment where I I just cannot believe that this chemistry exists. And for me watching it through this time, it was that scene on the bridge when Stefan and Elena are talking and she's talking about her relationship with Matt and she says it just wasn't. And he looks at her and he's like passionate. And I legitimately just, I cannot every time they interact. I mean, what was you all's reaction to seeing? Cause like this show doesn't work unless Stefan and Elena have that chemistry. What was kind of your reaction to those moments? Belief. The leaf, the leaf in the cemetery. That was it. That was our moment, you know? We looked at each other then and was just like, that works. They have Kim. They, they, we were just, we were hope. We, we thought it existed and we were like, did we just see that? Did we just see the chemistry? Did that just happen? We have history together. The scene you're talking about, Sam, was so flipping cold that night. And we were like racing the clock. And because I think that that particular scene, we either shot right at magic hour so we could have a little bit of natural light or right at sunrise. I can't remember, but it was cold AF. Like we were just (laughs) suffering. So I'm not sure we were watching for anything deeper than just survival, (laughs) but yeah, the, the, the cemetery leaf moment was the the first scene they shot together. I remember we were hung up on that bridge scene was about the, um, uh, it's not where he says something to her, like it won't hurt forever. Mm. Oh yeah. You won't be sad forever. You won't be sad forever, Elena. You won't, you won't be, sad. be sad forever. Nice, thanks. <laughs> and we were really, really trying to. Get, I remember that was like a line we were really, we were really focused on in that scene. I, you know, I remember for Paul, that was it was a big moment. So, I don't know. I had the passion. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that scene. Completely forgot about that scene. That's it was a miserable day of shooting. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> we had picked out an entire location in Vancouver is so beautiful and we were like had this amazing setting for that and then like a week prior there was a snowstorm and we we woke up and there was snow everywhere which wouldn't have matched with the rest of the of the show and so we had to I can't remember if we found it that location was the new location or if we just like took a lot of heaters out there and melted it but it was uh pilot season is the worst because you're always shooting and like <laughs> rain snow shitty weather, gray skies, no leaves on the trees because it's not spring yet. And everything's always ugly. <laughs> you get to like episode two, like everything's pretty again. I got all about the snow. I remember yeah. that. <laughs> I also love in that pilot, the final moment when Stefan goes to Elena's doorstep, Paul is almost on the verge of tears, like in a way that like he just had to know she was okay. And I've always wondered, like, was that scripted? Like, was the on the verge of tears thing? Was that a Paul moment? I re- yeah, I remember he was scared to come to the door, and he was he you know because of the Catherine connection, and we didn't know why at that time, but we knew there was just this emotional um, stake for him to to get to know her, but he was going to take the risk. Wait, I just had a memory flashback, and I could be totally making this up. But I think, oh, God, I wish Paul was on the other end of this phone call right now. Because, like, I think it was so cold that his eyes wouldn't stop watering. Is that what it was? 
I think so. And he was freaking out about it because it's like, you know, because it's like he had tears dripping from his eyes. I don't know. That just popped into my head. I will have to That's fact hysterical. Check that. I'm going to fact check that. But I have like this weird memory. I remember the big thing for me in that scene was the when he steps across the door, the, the threshold. And we were running out of time. And I was like, are we going to get an insert of the feet crossing the threshold? And it turns out we didn't need it. Because <laughs> it, 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 it was so symbolic of the vampire lore, but also she's inviting him into her world and her life. And he's also being invited in as a vampire. It, had a, you know, it, was, a, it was a big moment. And, um, but we couldn't turn away from their faces. They had the most amazing look. And once again, their chemistry was there. And it was and when we saw the cut for the first time, you know, we hadn't picked that song. We hadn't done any of the music work yet. And Kevin and I were in the editing room with uh, Marco Siega, who directed the pilot, and then Josh Butler, who um, who edited it. And it got to the end and that song played. And as the door is opening and he's stepping in, it's the fray, you know, don't let me go. (laughs) We're just we burst into tears because it was such the perfect music moment. And, and it was such a beautiful surprise. So we got to experience that as fans seeing it for the mm-hmm. first time. Like it wasn't like, Oh, we don't have the right song for this. What are we going to do? Blah, you know, shove something in and hope for the best. It was, it was a totally magical viewing moment where we, that's I think when we realized that we had something pretty great. It's how we felt at the end of that. Kevin, if I'm making any of this up, you have to correct me. No, I, we watched it. I also, I remember the phrase, like Marcus knew them because it was on their upcoming album. I don't even know, had the song come out yet or had it dropped? I'm not really sure. I don't yeah. remember. Well, I mean, you mentioned like Stefan needing to be invited in. And one of my big questions for you all is how did you decide, you know, you mentioned Twilight's a thing, True Blood's a thing, so many different vampire stories. How did you all kind of decide the rules of your vampires? What they can and can't. I love that Stefan gives that whole speech of like, garlic's delicious. Crosses don't do anything to me. That whole spiel. What kind of went into you all thinking of what the rules were for your vampires? Was it the book, Julie, that we really kind of leaned on in that area? I can't remember. I do remember that there was a big discussion about what kills a vampire, you Mm -hmm. know, and yeah. Is it going to be, are we going to stake them? Or is it the separation of a heart and head? And that's what, or, you know, so that you burn them or decapitate them or stake, you know, kill the brain or the heart and you do it. But there was that conversation. And um, then, you know, the verbatim was in the book. Yeah. Were the daylight, the daylight rings must've been in the book. But I do know that we were like, we are not shooting a show where all the scenes have to take place at night. We're just not doing it. Yeah. And so <laughs> whether the daylight rings are in the book or whether we like very cleverly like co-opted them <laughs> from something else, that was, that was. There was also, um, we didn't want to have any, no cross because of the religious connotation with it. We didn't want to associate the association of religion and cross the crucifix. I think that was a network thing or something, or they just, we didn't want to do it because we just didn't want to go there. Yeah, we really wanted to avoid any of the obvious stuff that, you know, like the, the, the Dracula stuff, you know, we just wanted to kind of have enough homage to that without having to be dependent on those rules. And I remember we had like a bajillion debates about how you turn someone into a vampire, because if yeah. I'm remembering correctly, the explanation in the book didn't really, wasn't really fleshed out that much. So we'd like go back and read it and be like, do you understand how this works? I'm not sure I understand how this works. And then even when we were writing the, um, the Vicki Donovan um, Lost Girls, you know, and and the episode where she becomes a vampire. I remember like going back and forth about how we were going to 
make that work. And first you have to have vampire blood in your system, then you have to die, then you have to wake up, and then you have to feed, and it's the whole thing. It turned out working really well for us though. Like that choice was a really smart choice over the years because we were able to that 24 hour window in which you have that choice, whether to like, just let yourself fade away and die um, or to feed and actually become a vampire, like giving the characters that agency mm-hmm. um, worked for us long-term. So it was a happy accident. You drank my blood. I killed you. And now you have to feed in order to complete the process. Ugh. You're wasted. You don't want to be out there all alone. You're about to get really freaky. Look, I had a really good time. I just want to go home. You're going to start craving blood, and until you get it, you're going to feel very out of it. You have to be careful. <sighs> Come on, move. I want to get to the, the Vicky death, but before that, I feel like the first kind of big mystery that you all were pacing out when you were writing this season was at what point does Elena figure it out, right? Like, at what point does she discover that Stefan's a vampire? Which you all do pretty quickly in the grand scheme of, like, a 22-episode season, which I always appreciated. But what was kind of the conversation of pacing that out? Did you consider dragging that out? Did you kind of want to get it done quickly? I remember we talked about it, but I wasn't a fan of... of, There's no way you're going to get all the way to the end of first season. And there's no story. you got to get on with it. Everything you know... And every belief that you have is about to change. Are you ready for that? What are you? I'm a vampire. Both Kevin and I have this general instinct, to, you know, or he had it and I learned it um, <laughs> from the best, which is like, hold off something long enough to get good story out of the mystery, but not so long that you end up having to create more mystery than you needed in the first place. You know, like when the, when the obstacles are organic and when you're like the tension of the secret is working for you, live in that secret, but then like, then surprise the audience by busting through it as opposed to drawing it out over 17, 20 episodes. And the other thing that we did, which he had never really done. And as a fan of television, I had never really been a fan of, which is we had them kiss in like the second episode. Yeah. First episode? No, second episode, second right? Episode, yeah. yeah. The, the Sarah Bareilles, right? And, um, mm-hmm. no, uh, uh, um. Yeah, it's Gravity by Sarah Bareilles. Gravity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Cause it was a, so you think you can dance. That's why yeah. you knew that song so well. <laughs> I remember that whole thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great dance routine. That was a moment. So good. Um, but like having them kiss in episode two, which like usually love stories, you're just like building and building and building and will they or won't they and da, 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 da. But I guess because we know that ultimately there was like a third party involved who was going to be creating tension in that relationship that we felt the freedom to get them to a place and then walk it back. We wanted to get them together so that we could have them, inter- you know, uh, Damon Interruptus happen. <laughs> Damon Interruptus. <laughs> Well, I do want to obviously get to Damon, your your first villain of the series, who obviously becomes much more than that. But I know, Julie, you've talked a lot about kind of Kevin's role in like really discovering Damon's voice. Kevin, for you, was that, did that kind of come to you relatively easily? Was there any specific inspiration for Damon? It's just that inner voice that is so snarky. All <laughs> the things you want to say out loud, but you can't. And he was so snarky. And I just loved writing. They're, you know, they're the fun characters to write. You know, it's like he was just so much fun to sit down. If you're going to stay up all night and write a script, 
it's fun to write a voice like that. You know, I had the same experience with the following with Joe Carroll, you know, the serial killer. The bad guys are always more fun to write. They just are. They always have been. John Varvatos, dick move. I was about to say, that's one of my, I wrote it down in my notes. One of my all-time favorite Damon moments is this is John Varvatos. Like, oh, so good. This is John Varvatos, dude. Dick move. And that came about because they were always wearing John Morgan. <laughs> yeah. That was like those t-shirts that were constant. It was their every week wardrobe. And I just was like, okay. <laughs> no, but like my favorite Damon line, and you know, you're talking about the mysteries that we're building. So, you know, my favorite Damon line is, um, Oh God, I'm like, what it dot, dot, dot. It's oh, for no. me to figure out. That's for true, yeah. Out. For me to, for me to know and for you to dot, dot, dot. What are you up to? That's for me to know and for you to dot, dot, dot. Give Elena my best. The origins of that line, which are so great. Um, you know, every writer loves to complain about network notes. Um, and we just kept getting from like the pilot, every script that we handed in, every story area that we handed in for like the first three or four episodes. Like every time anybody read a script of the network, they were like, yes, but what's Damon's drive? Like what does Damon want? And we were like, oh, my God, he just wants to be an asshole. <laughs> you know, like, but especially Don Ostroff, who was ahead of the network at the time. And she was obsessed with what does Damon want. And we also didn't have the mythology truly figured out. We, were we didn't know yet. Because <laughs> we, we had so many things in the, on, the, on the table. We didn't really know why are they, why did he come back? What's the connection with Catherine? Is she a doppelganger? There was so much to figure out. And we just kept getting the note. And it was so annoying because like, we knew we were building a big mystery, but it's like, you don't have to spell it all out in the second episode. And it was an executive, I think it was Heather Caden, who um, was an executive at Warner Brothers at the time. And she said, you know, sometimes I've just found the best way to like answer the what do they want question is to like throw the question back at them, throw the mystery back at them. And, uh, and so then there, there's the, we just kept having, having Stefan say, what is it that he wants? I just don't know what he wants. I don't know why he's here. Why is Damon? Damon, why are you here? And then finally, like, Damon, what do you want? <laughs> and Damon's saving this for me to know and you to dot, 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 which we were felt very smug about. I love that line so much when Kevin wrote it. Yeah, you know, we were torturing the writers trying to come up with the, the right mythology and the right, um, you know, what does he want? You know, and only when we latched on to the church and the, and oh my God, that's, that's when it all clicked for me. Yep, totally. I remember that like a light bulb went off in the room and over your head. And it was like somebody said, but I don't even know who it was. And maybe it was you, but it was there's a tomb underneath the church. And it went boing. <laughs> I just remember Catherine's under it. And then, and then we, he spends his entire season trying to get her, but he's not there. She's not there. You know, and that was like the best yeah. outcome. And. Then we could, it was a big surprise. It all worked for me. It clicked all that just, you know, that's when the writer's room really came together. I felt like when we all started, you know, um, the mythology was, uh, yeah. came, came, came together for us. That was, that was a rough go. You know, the biggest problem of starting of launching vampire diaries was that, you know, they make you write this like pitch document when you make a pilot, which is like, mm -hmm. here's what the first six episodes are going to look like. And you, wait till the last minute because you're so busy doing everything else and you're so fried and you kind of make it all up. Right. I mean, that's like a writer's little secret. You make it all mm. up. And then you hire a writer's room and you're supposed to like have all these questions answered before you go into the writer's room, but you don't because you just killed yourself making a pilot 
then hiring writers and you've got like five minutes before the room starts and there's all these faces looking at you like, okay, what are we doing? And it took us so long to figure out what the tone of the show was going to be, you know, because I was such a Buffy fan. So in my head, there was a Buffy-ness to it. And so we hired all these writers like, you know, that were big, huge, like comic book fans or Doctor Who fans or sci-fi fans and Buffy fans. And then we got like deep in and nothing was working. Nothing it was working. And Kevin's like, can I be honest with you about something? <laughs> like, I won't tell you which show he says he hates, but um, <laughs> it pretty much encapsulates everything. Everybody that we had hired, <laughs> we had hired for like all the wrong reasons. Basically, <laughs> it's just, I never watch Buffy. I never yeah. watch it. I always saw like the last 15 minutes of it because Dawson's Creek came on after it. <laughs> that, was, that was the extent of my Buffy, you know, and I feel bad about saying that because it's such a beloved show, but I just, and when, so Julie would go, well, there was this episode in Buffy and I'd be like, huh? I don't know what you're talking. I never saw it. I don't know what you mean. And she would go, but what about the episode when this happened? I'd be like, I don't know what you mean. I didn't watch Buffy. And, and I also, and I leaned towards I always wanted a really dark, scary show. I wanted the show to be scary because I write, I feel like the romance works better when you don't focus on the romance. I mean, you, the romance shouldn't be 90% of the show. You, it should be that thing that you scare. I don't know. I think the, to make it truly emotional, you need, you need to have stakes. And the way to make the stakes for relationships work is to, concentrate on the stakes and the scares and not so much on, Oh, I'm just telling a love story every week. Cause I feel like that, yeah. that just, blew, that just burns out. Love stories just yeah, we were, out we had this it. like quippy voice in our head, you know? So everybody was working off a quippy voice and then, and then Kevin, so great. I remember this so vividly. There's a handful of moments where I remember your epiphany that like, you know, your pitch, like let's kill Jeremy at the top of <laughs> season or whatever. Like, we were trying to figure out why why the second episode it was the third episode but it was 102 the football episode friday night bites why it wasn't mm. totally working and like what you know it was a charming story it was a lot of fun like we had good good story good incident but like it just didn't feel right yet and it, he was like suffering over it and finally he calls me up he's like okay so damon does all this terrible stuff and as usual and stefan doesn't understand why he's there and like and Damon kills uh, Coach Tanner, and he's just like this evil, evil, evil guy. And Stefan's at his breaking point. And Stefan's like writing in his journal. He's like, "This is it. Like, there is no redeeming him. There is no, um, you know, he is an unredeemable person. He is villained as the day is long. He is evil, and there's nothing good about him." And he goes, and then you cut while he's saying this to Damon and he's standing over Elena's bed and he's like, what's he going to do? Is he going to kill her? And then as Stefan's saying, there's nothing good about him. He just leans over and he brushes her face tenderly. And that's all he does. And I went, Oh my God, (laughs) that's it. And it was moments like that early on that like Kevin had to search and hunt and find um, that like just are so definitive to the tone of mm-hmm. the show. And the more we understood that and like fell into that, um, it just like the show was able to get better and better and better. Yeah. Well, talking about pivotal moments for the show, let's talk about killing Vicky. Cause that's obviously, I mean, I feel like such a turning point for the show. It's such, but obviously becomes such a p- part of what that show is of never knowing if someone's going to die, but it got really difficult. 
because we decided we were going to kill her early on. Hmm. For me, I, I said, we got to kill, take a main character and kill her. She seemed like the appropriate character to kill to move the story forward in the way in which we wanted to move it forward. And then as we got closer to doing it, I fell in love with the actress so much. Kayla Yule yeah. was just the most beautiful human being you'll ever meet. And I didn't want her to leave the show. I didn't want to lose her from our lives. And we were scared. And luckily that didn't really happen. She stayed in our lives. But I was so, we were so torn about it towards the end, but we had already made the decision and we knew it was what was best for the show. And for those very reasons you said, because it really blew the show up and said, this is a, you know, we have real stakes. We will kill people. This is, you know, and we wanted that. Yeah. And Kayla, Kayla has told this story and, um, and so I'm not speaking out of school by talking about it, but she struggled on the pilot. Like she never quite hit her groove. She didn't feel confident. She, you know, it's, they're all young actors. Everybody was super green in their own way. And she just was nervous and you could tell. And so when it came time for us to start breaking the season and we, you know, and knew we needed a big kill, she was sort of the first on the chopping block. And so we wrote this entire plot for her and all this story for her. And then she showed up to work for episode one and she'd been studying and she'd been like doing all her work and she'd been, and she was so good. And I remember I was, I think Marcos was on set or I was on set. One of us called each other. We were like, Oh shit, Kayla's really good in this scene. <laughs> you know, she's really doing great work. And, but that was, we were like, well, too bad. Sorry. You know, it's just one of those moments where the story is way too good to switch gears. But one of the reasons why we keep bringing dead people back to life on the Vampire Diaries, much to, you know, <laughs> to much other people's chagrin was because of people like Kayla. Because when you just, you, when you have a person that makes that much of an emotional impact on your set and to your crew and with the other cast members, it's just sort of, you just want to be around them. And then she was definitely one of those people. And yeah. she really, and, and once we were watching the dailies of her dancing around with, Ian, and it was so magical, and it was so. Loud. I was like, "Oh, we, do we really have to kill her? Do we really have to kill?" Her? Yeah. yeah, this is such a random aside, but whenever I rewatch the scene where she first says the words, the word "vampire" to Matt, I don't know what the lighting situation is in that scene. Matt's eyes are never more blue than the moment <laughs> when Vicky says "vampire." It's it looks CGI. It's insane. Maddie Blue Eyes. God bless. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about flashbacks because I feel like I think I'm remembering this correctly, Julie, where you said you and Kevin kind of disagreed a little bit, had a debate about whether even to include them. Oh, Kevin yes. Kevin basically I, played the biggest I mind game. No, I was on the no side and Julie was like on the on the yes side, if I remember correctly. And yes. I was completely wrong about that one. He was so he was so mean about it though, like in a fun way, like in a bust your balls prank run away, where he goes on this whole like discussion about how like everything you learn about writing flashbacks, if you have to use flashbacks to tell your story, then it's not good writing and like, you know, which at the time was very true. And but the whole writer's room sort of was true. like kept oh, and yeah. that still holds true actually, if you're not designing a flashback show. Yes, I agree. And, um, and so he made us take a vote. Like everybody stated their case and everyone was like, but flashbacks are good for this and da, da, da. And he goes, I think we should vote on it. And like goes around and we all put little slips of paper and like dump them in the hat. <laughs> and, uh, and at the end he reveals his vote and he had voted yes for flashbacks. 
And, and that's how that was born. <laughs> well, cause I, I, I had, cause when I took the vote, I was leaning towards doing them, you know, cause we were already starting to formulate what we were going to do with them. And then, yeah. cause Julie kept pitching what we would see and what would happen and what would, and I'd be like, Oh, well, that's really good. That's, that'll be fun to do. And, but no, I hate flashbacks, but then I voted for them. <laughs> and we didn't originally like it didn't occur to us originally and not to me it might have occurred to you kev that that nina should play Catherine and and elena because there was just like in the books they called it a striking resemblance mm. and i remember like italia Ritchie who had tested for um elena early on and it was like would have been one of her first jobs so she's brand new um comes up to us at comic-con after the show gets picked up she's like i am putting myself like in front of you to say, I would like to play Catherine Pierre. We were like, oh, we already used the photo of Catherine. We'd already used the photo of, of Nina. And so I wasn't even sure Catherine was going to come back. I mean, I don't, you know, we just didn't know. I didn't know yeah. what I was doing. So. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember like how we made that decision, but it wasn't like an instantly, like we had to kind of get there because she wasn't the doppelganger in the books. I don't think, I think we made all that up. Yeah. I was, I was about to say, so like when Nina auditioned, there was no sense of like, now give us your best Catherine. No. Okay. Interesting. We were just looking for one more way to turn the story. Yeah. All right. Because that's whatever we could do to turn the story and give us more, more life and give us more storylines. Because like, we even, we sat around, I remember my whole big dilemma was the minute we make Damon nice, we have to bring in a new villain. Because, you know, that was sort of, uh, that was my biggest fear. If we, if we don't have a villain, there's just no stakes. We can't have a lovable, a lovable villain. That, that, that's great. And that's a fan favorite character, but that doesn't bring you real storytelling with real stakes. And so I kept saying, as soon as, yeah. and that's what happened. Every time one of the villains turned nice, we brought in a new one. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. It's true. And, nice. and, <laughs> and, that, and not to jump ahead seasons, but that is the yeah. single most reason why you said we have to kill we Damon has to kill Jeremy um, because people loved Damon too much. And it was basically like we had this magnificent villain who could do no wrong in the eyes of the audience. And we thought, well, let's give him something really wrong that is unforgivable. So we can buy ourselves another year of, of him as a villain and Stefan as the hero. Yeah, and they, they poor Damon, <laughs> poor Damon. He's he so misunderstood. So he killed Jeremy. Poor Damon. I mean, that's what, what happened. Oh, my God. Really he just loves Elena so much. And, like, and I'm crying for Damon. And we were <laughs> aghast. Like, <laughs> aghast. We were like, what have we wrought? Like, we had basically accidentally created, like, the poster child, poster couple for toxic masculinity. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> The women loved him, and we just like it. Could, we couldn't, we couldn't understand it at all. And uh, I, uh, that was a moment. That was a moment. Yeah, I'll jump. I'll jump back to season one, but I do have to say because two hundred one, which I know you all wrote, is one of my top three episodes. I think, and the parallel you all wrote of Catherine, Stefan tells Catherine that he hates her. And she says, that sounds like the beginning of a love story, not the end of one. And then you have Elena saying, I hate Damon at the end of it. It's just so yep. beautiful. It's so good. I came back for you. 
problem, Catherine, is that I hate you. You hate me, huh? That sounds like the beginning of a love story, Stefan, not the end of one. I hate him, Stefan. <laughs> That's classic Williamson. <laughs> so good. <laughs> and that was born from Say Anything. Oh, was it? Well, at the end of the movie, there's in the airplane, and she goes, they say we'll never make it. And he goes, I think you just described the beginning of every love story. Oh. And and so I took that was always in my head. And then I think we just kind of we we just sort of went from that. Wow. Now, I don't even know who, but I always, I always love that moment. We have to take a quick break, but we'll be right back. Hey, everyone. I'm Sid Evans, editor in chief of Southern Living and host of Biscuits and Jam. Since 2020, I've been interviewing musicians, chefs, authors and other Southern icons about their family traditions, their faith, their favorite meals and, of course, what it means to be Southern. And I'm excited to announce season five of our award winning podcast. Join me every Tuesday for new conversations with some of the most interesting and influential Southerners around. Be sure to follow Biscuits and Jam wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find us online at southernliving.com slash biscuits and jam. Now back to the show. One thing I want to touch on is, were werewolves always a part of it for you all? Because I'm always amazed when I rewatch it, how early, I mean, it's still episodes in, but you get that shot of Tyler and a full moon behind him. It always catches me a little. I was like, oh, that's soon. They were planting the seeds of that. So was that always part of the story? Yeah, that was a book. That Tyler Lockwood was the werewolf in the book, for sure. And I remember Ke- Kevin really wanted to foreshadow it as much as possible because Tyler was such a stock trope, dickwad character. Like, there was just nothing nuanced about him uh, in the books and in our show. And so the thinking was, if you lean into that tropiness, but then just give a little hint of, like, why, where that's coming from, you're telling the audience, like, you're in on the joke with us a little bit. And we were also super excited to move beyond vampires. You know, it's like, because like Julie was saying, she wanted more like a Buffy world or a Buffy universe, and I wanted Dark Shadows. And I remember we went down the Succubus Road, and we went down... The werewolf. Yeah. And so there were so many. I mean, I just wanted other creatures in the show. Like we got the witch and then we got we just wanted to expand and build the universe. And so I I was all for it. Yeah. But um we, you know, the succubus didn't quite make it. The succubus well, I mean, what's crazy about that is that got written, shot, and additional stories broken about it before we realized, like, what are we doing? This just doesn't feel right for this show. Early on, mm-hmm. we had a pitch in our original, like, before anything was written, and there's just the writers, and we were all pitching about a gargoyle that came to life in the cemetery. And very early on, we were like, oh, that's just not the show. This show doesn't work with magical beings, which hilariously, when we came back around to it, legacies 10 years later i said oh gargoyle let's do it. <laughs> we got to do a gargoyle <laughs> and it worked because it worked for that show the tone of that show could support a gargoyle in a way the vampire diaries just never wanted it was like oil and water weirdly yeah well getting more toward the end of the season you've got obviously 119 is damon and elena dance magical moment you've got stefan off being the ripper which is actually was the ripper twist was that from the books was that something you all introduced i think it it was i think it was in the book wasn't it i don't know you came up with it maybe 
I don't remember. I mean, it was probably me just paying homage to Angel, frankly. Like, let's be real. That's half of my idea. I, I don't like, think I think that one at all. I feel like that was you or the room or something. I can't remember. I think I came up with a humanity switch because, mm-hmm. and, and, and it yes, really came from. on and off. You kept, you came yeah. up with it came, it came one because I'm a very adept at uh, dissociating myself from grief trauma. Um, and, and I, I was liking it to like a switch that I can turn off and on when I don't want to feel bad. Um, <laughs> but also in reading, um, you know, in, in, in making all of these shows and reading stuff about vampires, it was always really hard for me to get past the actual murderous predatory behavior of a vampire mm-hmm. like i mean now you can't do any of that shit any of the seductiveness any of it but like even then i'm like they're kind of like really pathological like demonic serial killers and how do we portray them at their worst and then still find redemption for them on the other side and so i don't know i just like the idea of a humanity switch which is like things get to be so the trauma and the grief becomes so heavy that escaping it seems like a better path than than not you know and so once they mm-hmm. escape that heaviness then they're free to behave in their with their primal directive which let the characters have all that have all that freedom to be horrific you know yeah in our season one i think every the writer's room mantra was epic everything had yes, to be epic. everything and we were just epic epic two where julie wrote my favorite line of all time which was i was feeling epic <laughs> the sun was, came up was, yeah <laughs> and oh we always oh, episode two but yeah. my favorite passages is the julie this the monologue she wrote at the end of two right about yeah. the kiss and i was feeling epic those were my, yeah the, the callback line i don't know if i wrote did i write that i feel like you pitched that the callback to that that yeah, i was I feeling epic you, that might be yours I don't know, but in my mind, I think you wrote it. Okay, <laughs> that's fine. You, I'll take it. Um, yeah, monologue, yeah. I know you wrote that monologue. Yeah, that and was. I, like, read, I felt good about that one. The script, and then, but when I saw it performed in the dailies, when you were, we were sitting in the editing room, I was like, "Oh my god!" And then you put that song to it, and and you weren't happy with the way the song was hitting, and you kept telling, "No, no, no, move the frames, move the." Frames. And you were like, and you were wait, 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 and you were just editing the music to it, and she nailed it. It got just perfectly, and I went, "Oh." That's so good. I remember. <laughs> the I used to drive the editors crazy with that, but like, I just knew when I wanted like the right percussive beat to hit, or the right swell to hit, or the way the, way the volume needed to take over the sound. I invented yeah. a phrase called the music bubble, where like <laughs> the sound had to kind of like drop out. All the ambient sound had to drop out as the music kind of like enveloped everything, and and it became just a moment that existed inside of this bubble for only those two characters. So two couple seasons in, they'd be like, okay, and then the music bubble here. <laughs> and all the mixers started talking in my language. I met a girl. We talked. It was epic. Then the sun came up and reality set in. It was a good lesson for me on, um, cause I don't listen for the up down beats always. And I just count on the, and then you're like, no, 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 it's hitting on the wrong beat. It's hitting on the wrong, you know, and she just nailed it. It was really, it was very technical, but it's something that really matters. You yeah. Know? Well, I remember they kiss right as Sarah Brellis like hits that note. Uh-huh. And it's just, oh, so good. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do want to talk about music moments a bit because you've mentioned the fray. We've talked about gravity. Julie, I saw you tweeted recently about like 
you heard Matt Kearney's All I Need and actually like wrote a scene to it? Like how often did that happen for you in terms of music on this show? Almost never. It, we almost never wrote a scene to a song. I don't think. I mean, I have to go back and try, try to figure that out. But like Josh Butler and Lance Anderson, who were two of our season one editors, were so gifted at the music moments that we got to experience a lot of those, like what the moment we experienced with the Frey song, where we just heard the song cut into the episode and lost our minds. And then Chris Malaire, our music supervisor, was just so good at getting the songs, right? And so, like, it's like, um, oh, gosh, uh, Jason we Walker is down. Because we filmed yeah. the moments of Jeremy looking at the, his dead parents in the photo. You know, mm-hmm. Caroline sitting there in the... Mystic Falls grill. And, you know, I mean, the problem with uh, the CW at the time was that they just insisted that the pilots be filled with pop music, just like recognizable music. Every song needed to be a pop song, a hit song. The idea being that when you go to test it with the market research, that the audience would just be like, yeah, I love this song, dial up, you know? And it it was kind of like the the reason why the pilot itself is so it's got the killers or it's actually, no, we had to change it to one Republic, but it's got, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, uh, I don't even remember, but every pop song from the moment. And it doesn't fit with the rest of the show at all. We didn't get human, did we? Well, no, we, human was in the cemetery when she's walking and going to visit her at the cemetery. And then I think that's where we switched it to One Republic to, we to all get I the need. Or something. Yeah. One yeah. Republic is playing when she's like walking in with her yeah. bag into the cemetery. Oh, that's, it was human. Yeah. But like, no, I mean, like the Mads Langer song at the end of uh, 104 when Elena's the Who Are You song, when she's like staring at the mirror and figuring out like all these putting all the pieces together. Like I saw that sequence for the first time and it blew my mind because that song and then Lance. Josh put that song in four and then Lance put in Jason Walker's down at the end of the Stefan Alina breakup in 105. And then even better, the song for the weight of us, which is the song where um, Jeremy is so upset because Vicky's dead and Damon and Alina, you know, like Stefan Alina are talking about, you know, what to do. And Damon shows up in his like James Dean costume and is like, I'll handle it. And he goes and compels Jeremy. That song, we didn't have a song there. And I don't know if they put something in that we couldn't get or whatever, or it just wasn't right yet. And Malaire walks in with this Sanford Belkey song. I don't know who Sanford Belkey was at the time. I don't think that, I don't even know if that guy had a, like a, a label. Like, I don't know where the song came from, but he drops that song in and we just like cried. It's still every time I hear that song, I cry and cry and cry. And then one of the most, Popular songs of the whole season, well, two most popular songs of the whole season, that in 18 we mentioned, the Miss Mystic Falls, that song where Damon and Elena dance, and also in 9, 109, when Stefan and Elena have sex for the first time, mm-hmm. those are both Christian songs. Oh, wow. Yeah, that Josh Butler, like, Josh Butler knows a good song when he hears it, he doesn't care where it comes from. They're both well, Christian the, songs. I like the kiss at the end of the finale. Well, and that's Bloodlines. And I didn't like that song the first time I heard it. I didn't like it. And I said, I don't like that song. And Marcos was like, you're out of your mind. We're keeping the song. And I was like, excuse you. <laughs> you, know, you know something else? I was freaked out because you sent me to post on that one. And because I think you took a trip or you were out of town or doing uh-huh. something. And I had to go 
post that show. And I was paranoid because I was terrified that I would not get the music bubble. <laughs> I would not get <laughs> Because Julie was really good at that. And I would remember just, is that hitting where it should hit? Is that hitting on the right? I, I was so panicked because I didn't want to get it wrong. But, yeah, I, I came to love that song deeply, but I did not like it in that moment. The first time I heard I, it, I like everyone, it. Kevin goes, yeah, I like it. I'm like, all right. <laughs> it kind of worked for me. So you, I remember we sampled a bunch and I felt like that was the best one. That, that was like, you know, but I was also like this a lot of the time. If it worked emotionally, I was down with it. So, yeah. Yeah. You know. Well, I do obviously want to get to the Catherine twist of it all. Like, st- I mean, still throughout the series of the show, like one of the greatest twists, my, one of my favorite experiences in the world is watching the show with someone new and getting to that moment because you all watch that like perfect line to where if you're new and you're watching the show, it's Elena. But if you watch it knowing it's not, there are all these little moments where you you can tell Catherine's kind of like, is he about to kiss Stefan's girlfriend? Like there are these different moments, but you mentioned Catherine wasn't necessarily always gonna come back in present day. So like, how did this twist kind of come about? My dream was for, I wanted 10 twists in the finale. I think I got six, but I wanted to have as many, I wanted twist after twist after twist. <laughs> I wanted a Knott's Landing twist and you guys are too young to remember Knott's Landing. And when Knott's <laughs> Landing was working on all those cylinders, it would have like four or five twists at the end of the season. And you were just like, and I wanted that. I wanted a not slanting ending. And, but I, you, I don't want to, I don't want to take this away from another writer, but I do, I think it was you who came up with the kiss on the porch. I think that was Brian Young. And I Brian might be taking it away from, I might be taking it away from another writer, but I'm pretty sure because you came up with. I, yes. I came up with Jenna inviting her in. Yes. And, and because Uncle John. <laughs> and I can't it, and I I said and I and Jenna someone has to invite the vampire in because no one knows it's Catherine. So Jenna does it in a scolding way, like you shouldn't be kissing Damon, get in here. And so she invited Catherine inside because I wanted that rule had to stick. I was just so mad if we did, we broke the rule. And um, and then some someone else came up with a kiss, and it was perfect because Elena and Damon needed to kiss, but we didn't want them to. Exactly, we did not want them kissing at all. <laughs> It was that was another like holy shit when when Kevin pitched the Uncle John hi John goodbye John hello John goodbye John like with the finger chopping like we all everyone in the room was just like in awe I mean that that's just such an unbelievable stroke of genius but it is the same thing like he and I grew up on soap operas him like nighttime soap operas me daytime soap operas and like my favorite television historically and broadcast are shows that are constantly surprising the audience and ending the episode where you're like, Oh my God, cliffhanger, you know, the cliffhanger is a, this beautiful art form and to, and, and that set the standard for vampire diaries, that finale to me set the standard of like, we always have to fight to get as close to this amazing, awesome twist and cliffhanger ending as we possibly can. We can never let our audiences down with a finale. And we, we put so much pressure on ourselves for eight years to make sure that we never failed a finale. And there were some that were better than others, but like we really, really, we took our finale seriously. I was really proud of that one. I thought we all, cause I, it accomplished what we wanted. And that was the only, I remember my brother who never comments on my work at all, ever, ever, ever. And he, he said, now that was a good finale. And I went, okay, so my brother liked it. He's a hard critic. So if he liked it, it's good. 
Yeah. And just that whole episode looks so good. Like they had like five minutes to prep it because you know it's the end of the season. They probably didn't have a script until we were shooting. For all I remember, Marcos, who's wonderful and brilliant, shot a full parade. They got full period costumes. They had fireworks. We had a fire. We had. I mean, there was a carnival. There was yeah, so much shit going on in that episode. The lot so they could. They had to build the basement in the parking lot so they could put it on fire. And yeah. I remember the day we were killing Anna. He called me. He liked. He did not want us to kill Anna. He did not want her to die. And he said, "Are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure?" And he, he and I'd be like, "Yeah." He was you sure? Because no one, he said, none of the crew down here wants to lose her. They love, everyone oh, loves Elise, her. Oh, Melise, yeah. She's and, so sad. And everyone loved like, her. to die, sorry. <laughs> but it was so sad. She was great. She was great. Yeah. Oh, my God, that's so funny. I completely forgot she was in season one. Because mm-hmm. she's it's such she, a... She died in the fire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Because we used her so many more times. She brought Jeremy <laughs> to life, I thought. I thought she really made Jeremy pop. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. thought they had a really nice thing going. So... Oh, my God. <laughs> well, I read something at one point. At one point, were you all doing, like, writing a companion series for Vampire Diaries? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we wrote that paranormal. We know what we did yeah. is we were playing around with doing this paranormal show. where at a university, with it, but it was more about possessions and uh, ghosts and, and cre- you know, more scary stuff. But it was about this paranormal team at this university that, and it turns out that, the only compa- only connection at all was there was one character who said, why don't we go investigate? There's this little town called Mystic Falls. Why don't we go there and investigate? They say there's vampires there. I'm like, no, there's no such thing. And then it was just a what? No. Yeah. I mean, I think we talked about maybe spinning off a Laric into that at one point. Like, I can't remember. But it was like, it was basically meant to be a college ghost show. Um, yeah. yeah. And uh, more supernatural than vampire does. Yeah. But that lasted for about three minutes and then went away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then it, then it, then the whole conversation I think turned once. Then the season by the time we got to season three or four, the whole conversation turned for Julie was all about the originals. Right? Yeah, and that's where the, I think everything just sort of headed towards that. So, which rightfully so. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is there anything else when you all think of season one? Any other scenes? Any other moments you want to touch on? Oh God, I think about the actors and Marcos sending us videos from set so mad at us during let the right one in 116 <laughs> because we had written the rain the oh, rain yeah. towers like the whole like beginning of like why everybody wanted damon alina to kiss in the rain is because of like their intense scene face-to-face fighting with each other about stuff and and it like it was shooting in the spring like it was march but uh, Atlanta had a cold snap because we didn't know that Atlanta wasn't warm, first of all, <laughs> because, you know, it's in Atlanta, it's in the South, the South is yeah. warm. So like, in my mind, it did not get, you know, to frigid temperatures in, in Georgia. So there they were, it was like zero degree. I mean, it was so cold and there was rain pouring down all over all of them. And it was the middle of the night at a huge night shoot and they were furious. <laughs> like little like like Blair Witch videos. <laughs> like, I can't feel my face. By the way, that's not the first time Marcus and then we did the following and Marcus did the same thing. We were freezing him <laughs> out in New York and he would send videos of them frozen. The camera would freeze. We'd have to get the hair hair and makeup would have to come out and blow dry the camera to get it done. It was horrible. 
I yeah, we we hit our fair share, and then we had snowpocalypse in uh, Atlanta. Like it snowed like two inches, but the whole city shut down for two weeks. That's why we built the forest inside that we ended up not really oh, yeah. using, but we built yeah, it yeah. inside because it was so cold. The thing I remember the most is how we utilized. You know, we didn't have a lot of money, and mm-hmm. we just utilized what we had. We walked to this production office, and we said, "Are those woods out there?" And they're like, "Yeah, are these part of our property?" And they're like, "Yeah." And so next thing you know, Julie and I are like, you know, um, scouting them for what can we do in the woods and what can we do the well and then the church. And we did, we just did what I thought we were very sort of, um, you know, the show kind of came over. The storylines were taking, it's crazy where storylines come from. Yeah. Yeah. No, completely. Pascal, our live producer, Pascal Vesquez would call and be like, I'm going to build this. And, and, and we'd say, great. And he's like, you're going to have to use it again. I'll make it into something else, but you're going to have to use it again. And so we would know, come up with the whole story, but like the signature success of that season, which I wouldn't recommend to anybody because it was the hardest thing probably you or I have ever done in our lives. But um, our best scripts that season were written probably in 36 hours or less. Because yeah. we would suffer so much trying to break the story, find the story. We'd have like an early draft written by another writer that we decided we didn't like the way the story was working. And then it would be like, what's the script going to be? What's the story? How's it going to work? And we would sit and suffer and pitch and pitch and pitch and suffer. So by the time it finally, like the story finally broke, we we were already so late. It was so late. We were getting yelled at by by Marcos and by actors all the time. Like the only people that weren't yelling at us, thank God, were the studio and the network because they were so happy with everything they got. They were like, all right, you get it to us when you get to us. But like everyone else was always upset with us. And I would say, I mean, it was, um, gosh, remember, um, the Bonnie, the Bonnie, um, Emily Bennett episode, the, the, the ghost, uh, episode 108. Mm-hmm. Kev, I think you and I and Brian wrote that in like a night. Because no, terrible. Like, I mean, we tortured them, the writers yeah. that we need to like. We still should send them all gift baskets every day until they die because we tortured them so. Much. Lost girls, we wrote. I think we had Act One and Two that we'd been working on for a couple of days that were incomplete, and then we ended up writing the entire Lost Girls overnight. Um, let the right one in. Wrote over, like in twenty four hour period. Delivered it at six in the morning. Jeez. And got a phone call from Marcos at nine thirty, telling me it was unproducible. And I, I put a rule in place because I was so pissed. I'd slept like two and a half hours and that script had been a really hard one to break and a really hard one to get done. And I said, no one is allowed to call a writer less than eight hours <laughs> after they've delivered a script that they pulled an all nighter on to tell them what's not going to work. <laughs> that is just not okay. <laughs> He did really good though. He was good because he oh, was like, you amazing. can't ding me. You can't ding me. You can't ding me. And I think that was the one where he called him and goes, you ding me. <laughs> oh, amazing. All right. I mean, I feel like that's, that's the gist of season one. I mean, thank you both so much for being here and for everyone watching and listening. We will be back. Episode two, all about season two. More vampire goodness to come next week on our next episode of Entertainment Weekly's binge, The Vampire Diaries. You can stream all eight seasons of The Vampire Diaries on Netflix right now. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you get audio and follow Entertainment Weekly at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly on Instagram. And you can catch me on Twitter or Instagram at Sam Highfill.